Good morning, Eastgate. So Rob's off for another week, and uh, he's picked this uh, fun and challenging passage for me to share with you while he was out. Yeah, uh, so he'll be back next week, and we'll uh, resume our, our usual programming. Um, for, uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Kevin, and um, I'm one of the co-treasurers with my wife, Stephanie, sitting over there. And uh, one thing that uh, you may not know about me is that uh, I, uh, I wash my hands a lot. And uh, even, oh, nope, wrong way. Trying to slip there. Even before COVID, um, I washed my hands a lot. And I, I think it has something to do with around the time my, my kids were born and wanting to protect their immune systems from germs. Um, and, uh, you know, I had a lot of anxiety. Anyway, I wash my hands probably way more than I rationally need to. And uh, when COVID hit, uh, who remembers all the videos about hand washing? Like, uh, like I remember one that uh, Alton Brown did. And I remember the one where they had the gloves and they put the paint on it. And then they did their hands all the different ways to see how you would cover all in between your fingers and in your thumbs and around your wrists. And you could look and see that, okay, the paint covers all of these places. So I've killed all the COVID on my hands. Um, anyway, well, I felt, I felt really justified in how well and how often I wash my hands. But, but it was getting really out of hand, and, you know, they started becoming raw and dried out, and they hurt. And, I mean, I know, I know it's really not good for my hands as much as I wash them, but, but, I mean, it's something I'm working on, right? So, I mean, sometimes, like, if I've been staying home all day, like in my protective bubble, I, uh, I, I may not wash my hands for everything. Like, like if, if I'm feeling, like, wild and adventurous, I'll eat dinner without washing my hands first. And, and so, I mean, as we read this passage, um, just kind of keep things like that in mind. I, I have a perspective that may unfortunately relate too much with the Pharisees and the scribes this time. I mean, I'm a, if there's a set of instructions or if there's a set of rules, I'll, I'll follow them. That's, that's who I am. Um, so... So like the Pharisees and the scribes, I'm, I'm human, and, and I tend to fall in the same traps, in the same habits, the same thought processes, thought processes uh, that they do. So as we read about how Jesus rebukes them and warns them, I really want to pay attention to what he says so that, so we can examine our own lives and our own selves. I know that through my study of this passage, I've really been examining myself and and I mean, not just the parts about hand washing. So, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please join me in Luke chapter 11. Our uh, passage today will cover verses 37 through 54. And we'll pick up right where Blake left off last week with this passage about uh, letting our light shine. So, in uh, verses 37, I, I did this in three, broke it up into three big chunks. So, the first big chunk will be verses 37 through 44. And they read, as Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and wickedness. 
fools. Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor. and You will be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption that they're stepping on. Wow. I mean, I, I don't know that I could have said that. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'd be too afraid to say something. I mean, I, I just, I, yeah, I, I couldn't say something like that to somebody in their own, ha- in their own house. And, and, and I just, I, I don't know what the Jewish customs were. And I've read a commentator say that, that, you know, speaking about religion and Eastern customs and having it get like, um, like that was, w- was kind of ordinary, but but as we'll see in the verses, uh, he, he really upsets them. He really upsets them when he talks to them like that. So, so anyway, Jesus has been invited to one of the Pharisees' houses, and there's already been a tension established between him and them. And so you may have to suspect that there may be some ulterior motive at this invitation on the part of the Pharisees. I mean, I, I don't know. Who knows, right? But you know that Jesus probably also knew beforehand <laughs> that he was not going to wash his hands. I mean, and, and he probably knew that this was going to happen. I mean, he probably already ha- had all this planned out. It's, it, it, it seems like pretty, pretty on the nose. But, but, I mean, just think, there's a group of scribes and Pharisees, and they're all in line over at the hand-washing table, and they're all doing the ceremonial hand-washing, and Jesus just skips the line and goes straight to the table. And I'm thinking, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, you've you got to wash your hands first. You need to put some hand sanitizer on. Like, like don't touch the food. Like, I don't know, it's like, it's like you're not even wearing a mask, you're going to breathe on the food, you're going to COVID all over the food. No, it just, it just gives me the cringe. But that's just me. That's just me. That's, that's not the Pharisees. They were coming at it from a, a totally different angle. Um, to give some perspective and context to their point of view, we have to, we, we got to really know where they came from. And I know throughout my history as a Christian, the Pharisees have always been painted as the bad guys against Jesus. But there were more than that. The Pharisees were really a group of mostly middle-class landowners and tradesmen who thought that the path to lead Israel out of exile was to keep the law and oral traditions so that God would bless them with Messiah and he would conquer their foes and restore the nation to its former glory. They were one of the groups still waiting for Messiah. And to prepare the nation, they thought it was their duty to be sure Israel kept the laws and traditions the way they thought that they should. And let's think about that. You know, working class religious people who wanted their nation to keep the commandments of their God, both the written and oral ones, in order to bring about the restoration of their nation. I mean, that, that really hits home for me. Um, I mean, let's think about this. They had three religious parties at the time, and all the parties were hoping to bring about the restoration of Israel in their own different ways. We had the elite priestly Sadducees who thought that the restoration of Israel would happen through keeping the temple practices and keeping peace with the Romans. And then we have the, the hippie Essenes 
who were giving up on the systems in the city and starting afresh in the wilderness to lead Israel to restoration that way. And then there were the working class Pharisees who were very popular with the people and their practices live on even in today's Jewish rabbinical teachings. And out of the three groups, I mostly relate with the Pharisees. When I was younger, I used to read the Bible and I couldn't understand the Pharisees and how blind they were. They had the Messiah in front of them and they couldn't see him. But today I know that if, if I were in their shoes, I would definitely relate to, and I'd be more of a Pharisee than any of the other groups that I just talked about. And so I want to be careful and cautious with the rebukes that Jesus gives them because I know that I have a tendency to fall into those same traps. So let's, uh, let's start with the traps that they were falling into. The first one ignites the situation when the Pharisees call out Jesus for not honoring their hand-washing ceremony. And a little bit of a background, the Pharisees, like, like these were uh, ceremonies for going into the temple, but the Pharisees wanted to apply all of the temple laws to everybody outside of the temple too. Um, and they, uh, they call it Jesus for not washing their hands in the hand-washing ceremony. And the Messiah that they were waiting for was at the table, and they wouldn't accept him unless he jumped through their religious hoops. They were practicing at being clean, and the one capable of washing away their sins was with them, and he, and they, and they called him dirty. And we must always recognize Jesus as the one who washes away sins. He's the one who purifies us. And Jesus immediately calls the Pharisees out on this. He says that they're full of greed and wickedness. They're dirty on the inside like a used dish. Uh, this is me, like a used dish left for days in the bottom of a kitchen sink. And, and take note that with his rebuke, he gives them an out. He said, give gifts to the poor. They were neglecting the poor in their community, and Jesus was calling them out on it. And he goes on and talks about how they tithe from the herb gardens, again, making themselves look good from the outside. But he tells them, you ignore justice and the love of God. And this part, this part, specifically justice and the love of God, makes me think of heaven, where all things are set in order and the love of God is there. Israel, Israel they were supposed to be a light to the world around them, revealing God to the world, and they were neglecting it. And as, as, followers, as followers of Christ, we're supposed to be where heaven intersects earth, working in our community to set these things in order and to share the love of God. And Jesus calls these things the more important things. Then another round of strikes begins in verse 43, where he confronts them about their self-importance, how they like to be recognized and honored out in public. And then for the final blow, he tells them that they are the ones that are dirty corpses in unmarked graves, the epitome of, un the epitome of uncleanness. See, grave markers were, were painted white so people could avoid walking on a grave and becoming unclean. I mean, even walking on the grave would make you ritually unclean, and you wouldn't be able to participate and worship in the temple. And Jesus was saying that the Pharisees were unmarked graves, making everyone that they came into contact with unclean without them even knowing it. 
Jesus made clear what his values were to the Pharisees. How we take care of others in the community around us is a priority in Jesus' kingdom. Relationships are so important to Jesus. This theme's echoed in Matthew 28, verses 37 through 40, when Jesus is tested about which is the most important commandment. And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just as equally important as loving God is loving our neighbor as ourself. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 tells us, if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? It's a priority. Let's continue in the text with the verses 45 through 52. Teacher, said an expert in religious law, you have insulted us too in what you just said. Yes, said Jesus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what sorrow, <laughs> it's just it's so funny. What sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law? For you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. What sorrow awaits you? For you build monuments for the prophets your ancestors killed long ago. But in fact, you stand as witnesses who agree with what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you join in their crime by building the monuments. This is what God in his wisdom said about you. I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some prophets, but they will kill some and persecute the others. As a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all God's prophets from the creation of the world, from the murder of Abel, to the murder of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation. What sorrow awaits you, experts in religious law? If you remove the key to knowledge from the people, you don't enter the kingdom yourselves, and you prevent others from entering. <sighs> well, when this guy first spoke up, I bet he was thinking, Jesus would back down from being confronted by an expert in religious law. Uh, I mean, these, so these experts in religious laws, I called them scribes earlier. So these were the ones who villagers would come to as lawyers. And some versions called them lawyers, but they were experts who would be sure that all manner of interactions that villagers had were, were lawful and kosher, like, like food handling, of course. But, but it extended into every area of life, like buying or selling of land or disputes between neighbors or what could and could not be done on the Sabbath and we can see that they were buddies with the Pharisees. There was a lot of overlap between the two groups. The Pharisees were the ones who prided themselves in their observance of the laws and the oral traditions. And the scribes prided themselves on telling people what the laws and what the traditions were. And Jesus starts off with telling them how they burden the people with unbearable religious demands and they don't lift a finger to help them. The message, the message Bible says, you load people down with rules and regulations, nearly breaking their backs, but never lift even a finger to help. So, so maybe a modern take would be something like this. I, I'm a software developer, and one of my tasks in the past has been to create processes to ensure that software that a development team builds is good quality. 
And so I'm always having to walk the line between making sure that the process are, processes are effective to maintain the technical rigor of the product, but not so cumbersome that they inhibit any work being done. And not only that, but if I'm making the processes for my team, I have to consider the toll that following these sets of processes or rules will take on the people following them, especially if I'm not the one doing them. I mean, it's so easy to make rules for others to follow when we don't have to do them ourselves and still expect those rules to be followed perfectly. And it feels, it feels like that's what's going on here. They enjoyed their positions as experts, but they didn't necessarily share the burdens of the people who they had authority over. And let's go back to the two greatest commandments. Um, we're supposed to love our neighbors like we love ourselves. And so we must not burden someone with a load that we aren't ready to carry ourselves. And there's only one burden we should be concerned with, really, and, and that's our own daily cross as we follow Jesus, like he told his disciples back in chapter 9. And, and there will be times when, when even that will need help from others to carry. I mean, later in chapter 23 of this book, we'll even see Jesus needed help with his cross. We're called to help others with their burdens, not to increase them. So let's get back to verse 47. Jesus talks about how they build monuments for the prophets of long ago, but that they are memorializing their murders, which were committed by their ancestors. And the prophets were sent by God to bring rebuke and correction to the people so that they would turn from their ways and follow God's path. And we can see their response to that correction. It was to kill God's messengers. And Jesus will go on to hold them responsible for all the murders from Abel all the way back in Genesis to Zechariah, who is traditionally the last prophetic martyr in the Masoretic text or the text from Genesis to Second Chronicles. This Zechariah, he was the one believed to be the son of the high priest. And after his father, the high priest, died, he spoke out against King Jehoash and the people. And they all got mad at him, and they killed him in the courtyard of the temple. And their attitudes and greed and desires for their own ways blocked the voice of God and effectively the love of God from reaching them and changing their lives. And we'll see later that Jesus' words to the religious experts and the reaction to him uh, confirmed this. He was God incarnate, incarnate, and they would not accept him, just like the prophets that he's referring to. Then Jesus tells the experts in religious laws that they remove the key to knowledge from the people, and he tells them that they don't enter the kingdom themselves, and they prevent others from entering. They're the experts, the ones with the knowledge of the law. And they burden the people down with the traditional demands that the people cannot meet, and then they don't meet, them, they don't meet the laws themselves. It's, it's like they're missing the whole point of the kingdom. It, it's relational love for others. For us, for us, it's meeting people where they are and not just pointing them to Jesus, but being the arms, the feet, the ears, the hands, and the eyes of Jesus for them. And being careful not to put burdens on the people that are heavy and unnecessary and to take the focus off of God. Well, let me rephrase that. 
and being careful not to put burdens on people that are heavy and unnecessary that take the focus off of God's redemptive power in our lives and in their lives. We must be careful not to get in the way of God's love to those in the world around us. We must not hinder the good news that Christ was sent not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And we see the response that the Pharisees and the scribes, the experts in the religious law had in verses 53 and 54. As Jesus was leaving, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. They wanted to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Their hearts were hard, and just as Jesus had prophesied moments ago, they were after him, just like their ancestors were after the prophets in the Old Testament. In order to maintain the status quo and their self-importance and their self-interests. And that's the hard part. Being rebuked is not easy, but our response is what makes the difference. I can relate to these Pharisees and these scribes. I want to be careful not, that, not to make the same mistakes that they did. Jesus said that his yoke was easy and his burden was light. And especially compared to the burdensome rules that were placed upon the people subject to these religious experts. But there is a burden. And I mentioned it earlier. It's our daily cross. In Luke chapter 9, a few chapters ago, verses 22 to 25, Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your own life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? But are you yourself lost or destroyed? I really think this was the same message that he was confronting the Pharisees and the scribes with that day. They thought how they could trap him and get him arrested, how they could get him out of their way. But their own self-interests, our own self-interests, are not the way. And when, when we're corrected by Christ, it is meant to keep us on the path following him. It's not an easy path. He told us we would have to carry our crosses daily, that we'd have to die to our own self-interests, our own selfish desires daily. And that's really the challenge of this passage. It is a challenge that should humble us. But remember, the work has been done. Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, and his Holy Spirit is in us. We have to remember that. We have to remember that when we carry our crosses, heaven and earth are coming together. When we carry our crosses and give up our own self-interests to help others in their burdens, then we're bringing heaven to them. And we are advancing the love of God in this world. And that's the point. Bringing the love of God to others, bringing Jesus to Jesus to others, and advancing the love of God throughout this world. That's the point. So let's remember, taking care of others in our community is a priority in Jesus' kingdom. And let's be conduits, not hindrances, of God's love to those in the world around us. And Christ's correction keeps us on the path that follows him. Right on? All right. So, 
I, I need to have a little like notification or something to tell y'all to come up. But yeah, right. That's it. Thanks. The itinerary. So God, thank you. Thank you for your word today. It's a challenging word, but we thank you for it. We pray that you would help us to keep others as a priority in our community. And we pray that you would help us to be conduits of your love to the world around us and help us to be, to be humble and tender to, to your correction to us so that we may follow you on the path, the path that leads to you, the path that leads home. And we thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray.